ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be coming up here on episode number 14. This is going to be part two and the final part of my chat with Lord British. This was a such a unique conversation. Um, you know, we go into Command and Conquer, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. Uh, we talk VR. Of course, we're talking UL for the you know for the main piece of this, but we also go into uh, Lord British. You know, seeing a griefer in real time and how the griefer kind of talks his way out of getting banned, which I found um, extremely interesting because um, I believe that there is a delicate balance to, you know, managing, you know, first of all, new player acquisition coming and then retaining, you know, these people and ensuring that people aren't getting griefed so hard that they just don't want to play anymore, right? So, and at the same time, giving people unlimited freedom almost, right? So I'll just say this. I don't envy, you know, the position of any free shard owner or even the production team, which, you know, whatever's left of that. Um, I, I don't envy, you know, these guys' position. And hopefully throughout these episodes, you guys can kind of get a little bit more of a uh, appreciation for what these, you know, these teams have to go through. And, you know, what Lord British talks about, I believe is playing out real time in front of, you know, our eyes with um, the free shards currently. Because imagine, right, that Trammel is not on the table at all. That is not an option. So how do you address um, the problems they had back in the late 90s, you know, without Trammel? So I think we have seen very, very unique and creative ways to deal with it that, you know, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. We could say, well, why didn't they just do that back in the day? But um, I don't I don't think, you know, life's ever that clear in the moment sometimes. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so guys, you know, please enjoy this episode. This was so much fun to watch. Uh, just uh, to keep in mind, I do stream on Twitch. Look me up under Mustache Gaming. Um, I do stream UO still. Uh, I have a couple of uh, new things I may be streaming soon. So check that out. I am on Twitter under Mustache Gaming as well. Um, and of course, you know, via email, ultimaonlinepodcast at gmail.com. Please keep emailing me. I love seeing what you guys are saying. And and honestly, if if you have someone or even yourself that would like to be potentially interviewed, you know, please uh, drop me a line. I am uh, very willing to hear and kind of, you know, see what you are are all about. See if we can get you on here. I can say the next episode after this, I've already recorded it. It was a fantastic uh, conversation and we kind of get into the trammel thing a little bit uh, in a pretty deep way and you'll kind of see that. And following this, this is in the works, I'm not going to say who, but um, we are going to continue with, you know, I would like to say top tier talent. Everyone, including my guest next week, everyone I'm talking to, I just, I, I feel are very important people to talk to and get their opinions and, and, and share their stories. So um, I really hope you guys are enjoying this, uh, you know, content because if you ever told me, you know, what, 
two, three months ago, I'd be sitting here. Uh, I probably would have laughed at you. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought it was possible. So um, anyway, guys, you know, please enjoy and uh, we will uh, catch you next week. No, that that's fascinating. And I've been thinking about this for a while. I believe Red Alert, well, Command and Conquer, rather, was Westwood Studios. I'm pretty right. sure. Yeah, wow. And I would actually argue, I actually think the original Command and Conquer was the best. Yeah. Of, of all of those real-time strategies. And it's not the most popular, you know, uh, what's the other StarCraft? StarCraft, yeah. StarCraft, I think, is the globally the most popular of the series. But but in my mind, or at least when I mentioned that story earlier of me playing against the CFO of, of right. Origin, <laughs> you know, that one had the constant one-upsmanship. It wasn't a game of speed, who can build right. the fastest. It really was a game of, ah, I have figured out how to use an engineer to go steal your bases. <laughs> and then, okay, well, now that you've done that, well, I have figured out a way to, uh, instead of trying to get to the biggest uh, vehicle, to instead just mass produce little ones right. and storm you from a direction you're not expecting. or and you know what I mean? And so you you really had a this variety of it felt more like a chess game yeah. than a just race to conquest. And most RTSs now feel like just a building race. Who can build who can click the fastest and yes. build them up? And it, and it may be that I'm out of date, by the way, on that because I haven't played RTSs in a while. But uh, uh but, but by the way, I, I also play a lot of games on my iPhone and the it's the tower defense games, which are sort of their kindred spirits, which are the number one games I play. So, okay, and, and you're touching a very interesting question that I wanted to ask. So we'll get to the phone in a second. You know, I'm, I'm on Lord British's computer. What, what games besides, obviously, Shroud? Because that's probably a given. What other games are installed? What am I seeing? Uh, on this machine that I'm talking to you through right now, um, I have a new Oculus set up, uh, although Ooh, I have the Oculus okay. Quest downstairs. Uh, uh, and I've actually been playing pretty much any of the VR stuff that I can get down. And right now I'm still in my exploration mode on that. Yeah. I haven't found things that I think are really great yet, other than maybe Beat Saber is particularly yes. nice in VR. Um, but I'm still, but I'm sort of in my explore of, of virtual reality, hoping that someday this will become a, a, a platform for us to make really great deep role playing games on. But on this machine, you know, I've gone to good old games and I actually get, you know, I've downloaded all of my early stuff on here. Okay. Uh, I've got a couple of the UO uh, Shard uh, various games. UO Forever, I think, is on here somewhere. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that's about it on this particular machine. No, and it's, it's, it's super interesting. And, you know, just to give you a brief history of why I started doing this, you know, I, I reached out to just... I think I was on Reddit and I just said, Hey, would anyone listen to, you know, a, a UO? Cause I realized it's, it's niche, right? I'm like, you know, would anyone listen to a UO podcast? And I got like 10, 15 replies. So people are like, yeah, I'd listen to it. I'm like, Psh, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And the one thing that I, you know, really tried to do and I've accomplished, I think is unifying some of the free shards because, you know, and I know you're probably not that connected, you know, right now, which is fine, but the free shards, sometimes when they come up, they create the silos where it's like, this is my free shard and that's it. Out of everything else, you know, there's a little bit of toxicity in there. So what I've done is I've interviewed people from every free shard, right? I'm like, hey, tell me your experience. How did you build this? How did you do this mechanic? And 
you know, at the core of it, you know, someone explained to me on, this on Sunday night, it's hilarious. The guy was like, you know, if I saw someone at a flat tire and, and they had a, you know, Ultima Online, you know, bumper sticker, man, I would push the car <laughs> for 15 miles, right? Because there's just a camaraderie that exists that at the core of UO, as toxic and as sometimes, you know, savage, right, that this game can bring out, we are so tight knit of UO, we will defend it, you know, to the day we die. There's just no doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, well, and by the way, <clears throat> you know, that was the beginnings of how clear that was going to be uh, came out in the very earliest days of the game's launch. Okay. And months, the earliest earliest months from the first day, but, but also going into this first month. And, and one great example of it was um, that when the, when the game first launched, you know, we had a we had a problem with it was that it was much more successful than anybody <laughs> yeah. was going to be. Right. And and we so we'd never really had a stress test, anything like the actual live test that we immediately were subjected to. And right. so surprise, surprise, lots of things broke. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and to the uninitiated, the way I would describe it is I said, you know, I said, imagine the city of Austin, which has a couple million people in it. Right. And so imagine before anybody ever moved in, you, me, and a few of our friends, you know, a dozen or two of us <laughs> got together to build the entire city. And so we built it. We built a, a space for a couple million people to come live. Right. We built every house. We ran every electrical wire. We put in every piece of plumbing. Everything that's on the sto store shelves that could be put on a store shelf, we put it there. We set its prices. We set its sugar content and you know health <laughs> right. aspects to it. Yeah. We everything there is about the reality of of life in Austin, Texas. We few people made it. Yeah. And then suddenly you ring a dinner bell and you say, "Hey, everybody, come on down, move on in," and two million people move in. <laughs> you know what are the odds? The plumbing works. Zero. <laughs> right. What are the problems? What, what are the odds that you're going to have electrical failures over the around the whole grid? Uh, guaranteed. Right. You know, what are the odds that uh, you know people are going to like what's on the store shelves or not, etc. You know the taxation rates. You know whatever it is, you know, it's, it's all going to go wrong, and it did all go wrong. Yeah. But what's also interesting is then when it goes wrong, which you we of course should have expected, then of course people are angry and they're they're wanting to say something. Right. Well, then if, that means we have a million people emailing us to tell us, <laughs> "Hey, I'm sure you've never heard about it, but there's an electrical short over here," and we're and we're like going, "Yeah, we know." Yeah. <laughs> you know it's pretty right. obvious. But we can't really communicate even with people efficiently yeah. to tell them, "Yes, we know." And since since they don't think we hear them, they don't think we know that the electricity's out. They now go, oh, "Dang it! I want them to fix the electricity. What am I going to do about it?" Right. And of course, there are kind of two things they could do. One is they could go. I don't like this game. I'm leaving. That right. would be one yeah. thing they easily could do. I'm going to take my money elsewhere. <clears throat> but for most people, that's not what they did. For most people, they said, I'm going to make such a rue in the game that they will have to pay <laughs> attention to the issues that I am demanding on. Right. And so they would do things like say, we're going to hold a drunken sit-in in Lord British's castle wow. to complain about the lag. <laughs> and so suddenly... And we would hear this. We'd, we'd hear people talking about that this is what they're going to do. Next Saturday, we're going to break into Lord Bruce's castle. We're all going to get drunk, right. which will make us vomit. We're all going to curse, which will bring the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the, the profanity filter into play. Right. We're going to take off all of our clothes. We're going to run naked in this castle. <laughs> and we're going to just mess things up in general. And, and so we thought, well, what are we, what are we going to do for this? Because this, by the way, is going to just crush the servers. It's right. going to make it much worse. 
And and in fact, they actually couldn't really get into Lord Bridges' castle because it was locked up. And only <laughs> if I unlocked it could people get in and out. But we actually decided, let's unlock it. Let's yeah. let them in. And so we let the protesters come in. We let them tear up the the, the, the castle. We let them get naked and speak profanity <laughs> and vomit all over the floor. And and it was an amazing event to watch. Yeah. And it was an amazing event to participate in because you knew they were only doing this because they really loved it. And they were, yes, they were upset. They really wanted this fixed. Right. But they were expressing it in a way that also was the game itself, was part of the experience of playing the game. And, you know, I hope you're going to be honest with me here. You know, in all of your time, has Reigns ever reached out to you or contacted you? No, and that is one of the greatest tragedies of my life. <laughs> I have, I have, I've wanted to, uh, you know, just shake his hand or punch him in the nose. No, I'm not really. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I just like to say hi, just because right. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's such a, you know, it's one of the top few events in the gaming of of online games, right? In the history of online games, and uh, and I've never had the opportunity to know the person, so it's uh, unfortunate. I know, and it's 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 super fascinating to me because I I decided you know this was a couple months ago. I was like I'd like to start streaming you know games, and of course the first thing that popped my mind was UO, and I looked and I'm like wow people are still streaming UO, and it's like something that I never could have imagined. Even you know obviously 1999 2000 that was never even on the table, but even going back i played a free shard called hybrid which still exists today that was back in like 2010 there still wasn't a way to really record your screen you know like and i'll say easily right it was a huge pain and you needed horsepower to do it and and you know i was trying to go back to like 2009 when we played the free shard there's just there's not much out there because it just didn't exist and now you know fast forward to and now you can record everything you know posted on youtube immediately um i think it's wild how far we've we've just come you know technology wise well you know the i actually wrote a game on a teletype prior to the existence of the apple II, prior to the existence of personal computers okay and that game was written on a storage medium called paper tape in fact i happen to have it right here behind me wow and the uh, and so, of course, that game, which I called D&D1, or Dungeons and Dragons number one, because it yeah. was inspired by D&D, you know, it was never played by anybody other than me and whoever was sitting with me right. at the teletype. <laughs> but machines are now so fast that before we released my last game, uh, uh, Shroud of the Avatar, I released the code from D&D1 okay. to the player base and said, hey, I'd love it if one of you could port this over into Unity. Right. From from electromagnetic electromechanical typewriter speak, wow, and, uh, uh, which they did, and so now <laughs> you can actually play on a teletype in Shroud of the Avatar. You can play the actual first game that I wrote in uh, like wow. nineteen seventy. Uh, uh, let's see, that we have seventy four. Wow, that, that's. So, did you ever imagine that? Could you even conceptually think of that? No, no, and and in fact, the reason why I have my Apple II sitting back here behind me is primarily because I couldn't imagine it. Yeah. In fact, it was a, there's a science fiction author by the name of Bruce Sterling, who one time, uh, he, he was giving a speech 25 years ago at a game developers conference. And, and he said, look, for me writing books, I'm trying to write the very best book ever. Right. But the odds of me writing the best book ever is remote. 
because there have been a lot of really great books <laughs> written over a long span of time. Right. But if I if I do write the best book ever, it will probably be it'll stand in the top ten for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, for you know probably a, a thousand years. He said you have the opposite problem. He said the odds of writing the best game ever written is actually pretty easy because they haven't been <laughs> right. around for long. Yeah. And the technology gets better, and the skills to write them gets better. Yeah. He said, however, even if you write the very best game that has ever existed. It will be beat out soon. Right. The games will be better. The designs will be better. The machines will be better. And he said, and worse yet, the machines will disappear that your game ever ran on. So your game's literally going to disappear forever, no matter what, wow. you try, what, what you do. And I was like, oh, he's speaking to me. I'm horrified. Right. And so I immediately went and got, and I dug my Apple IIs out of mothballs. <laughs> I got them all back up and running to run my early games on to keep them running. Right. Now, as we were just talking about, now emulators, et cetera, can, are, the machines are so fast. Yeah. All the oldest games, as long as you still have the code available, it's pretty easy to have, a, have it emulated on the modern. Now, let me ask you this, because I think this would be really interesting. Have you heard of Classic UO, the custom client? No. Okay, so, and this should be, you know, fascinating, of course, when time allows. There is a, and, I, and his name escapes me, there, there's a developer that literally took the classic client that we know today, and he has made it like, so just for example, because we're talking about high-speed computing and stuff, you know, I have my monitor, you know, is, you know, 27-inch, it's 2K, the 1440p, whatever, and the traditional UO client, you know, it's not meant to scale. It's just not, it wasn't, this was, this resolution was not even thought of, right? He made this client to now you can take the in-game, what you see, and like drag it and zoom in, zoom out. And it is like, to me, a testament of how special this game I is. I have but... just downloaded it. So oh, I'll okay. check it out after our discussion. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Like, and, and it was funny because I played, I played back in 2010 for a little while and I just came back, you know, I, outland specifically i picked that shard but i came back and i was like what is this classic client I'm like what is this so i almost felt like an, a complete amateur i loaded up and then i'm streaming it and people are like oh just click the little drag thing and, and you can make your screen bigger i'm like what you mean like maximize it They're like no 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 click the little button drag it and i did that and i'm like i can have 27 inches of uo <laughs> fully on my They're like yeah i'm like wow and this guy, he has done, and he's definitely someone I want to bring on because it is amazing that just one guy, right, has developed this. And what I what I what I've noticed is everyone is does this in their free time. They're not we're not being paid. They're not, and the level of detail on some of these shards is unreal for someone to just do this, you know, as a passion project. I mean, it, it's simply yeah, I agree. it's crazy. No, it is lived on, you know, well. Beyond what any of those could have, you know, possibly imagined. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, how, okay, let me ask you this too: Have you heard the new UO announcement that came out? Oh, you know, in fact, I saw that bullet point on your uh, things to talk about list, yeah. and I was kind of going, "Uh oh, should I Google something to figure it out first? Okay, so no, well, and the UO team that, it, and I'm talking, I called OSI. Geez, you know, I, I'm really old school. Right? I'm a purist. Yeah, I called OSI. That team did their first, I'm pretty sure it was their first live stream, I think ever, I, I don't know, but they did a live stream and the first thing, you know, they say is the announcement isn't Lord British is coming back, right? It was like just off the bat, right? Mm -hmm. That comes out and so after they get through that, what, what, and I like 
that there's something new. What they're going to do is a a new shard that, and the details are kind of not there yet, but they're doing a new shard where it's not classic era that everyone has been asking for, but it's a new way they're doing things where you adventure, you level up your character, and the shard is seasonal. So I think it lasts, you know, every year resets or something, but they're still getting the details ironed out. So we're not 100% sure what this entails. But, um, and again, with the free shards and production shards, there's a lot of, you know, animosity sometimes going back and forth. My view and a lot of the owners of free shards agree that that UO OSI still stands today is a good thing, right? Any exposure is good exposure for UO. Um, I feel it's about time that the you know, OSI has finally got some idea of something together that excites people, that just makes us think, oh, that's interesting. What is that? So I'm going to ask you this, you know, in all of your years and as time's moving forward, have you ever thought of, you know, maybe I should take over UO again? Has that ever crossed your mind? Oh, it crosses my mind almost every day. <laughs> okay. And so, uh, uh, and in fact, you know, I have spoken with EA on it once every, uh, on, on Ultima generally. Yeah. About once every five years. Okay. And it's usually when there's some new leadership at EA to, right. to speak with. And I'll go to the new leadership. We'll, we'll, I'll cross paths with the new leadership at a conference or something. Yeah. And, and, uh, and someone, someone, usually neither one of us, but someone who a go between is happens to be in the same conversation. They're going like, Hey, Richard, why don't you talk to EA about, you know, doing more Ultima stuff together? <laughs> I mean, surely you guys figure that out. And I'm like, yeah, I ask all the time. Right. And the new leadership of EA goes, well, that's a great idea. We should, we should definitely do that. And I'm uh, like, okay, well, we've been here, we've been through this discussion before, <laughs> but as you run it up the flagpole, and hopefully you'll get back to me with good news that this is even something we can start talking about. Right. You know, is there any kind of contractual agreement, whether I make it and pay you guys royalties, or whether you build it and I consult and help you make it better, and I collect a little something, right. or anywhere in between, buy it out, keep it in, I don't care. Is there any way for us to reunite? And, uh, and they're going like, well, this clearly makes so much sense. We should go do it. And then they go run, run it up the flagpole at EA. Right. And then they give me a call some weeks later going like, I'm sorry, Richard. You know, it turns out that the ownership of the ultimate property within internally is so complex and so many people believe they have a piece of it or they're going to use it. Or they're not going to use it or right. Et cetera, that there's just nothing we can do. And so we have, a, we've made a run at it repeatedly. Maybe okay. one day they'll realize that they should, but uh, at least so far, EA is not really shown any interest. Uh, in the I mean, they act like they have interest periodically, but then they it falls through. Well, because it's changed hands. It went like Mythic, and now I think it's Broadsword. Are they yep. the Broadsword? Yeah, now. But it's... by the way, I like the Broadsword folks. They're good folks. I mean, I, yeah, uh, uh, I've I've tried to help them out periodically, and and by the way, if they were to ask, I would figure out a way to help them. But you know, they haven't. Right. And I think, and it's frustrating for a lot of us, you know, purists of UO because it's something that, and, you know, leading to my next question, but I'm going to bring up housing. And this is such a topic that in my mind, it seems so silly that this hasn't been done like again, but, you know, housing in UO, it is amazing. No other MMO has brought in what UO has. And I will say, this, I'm a huge guy on open world, but I am really against the instancing that a lot of MMOs do because I feel it breaks immersion. So 
you know, I played EverQuest 2 um, a while back and they had housing, but you clicked, you loaded into a house and then you decorated it. I'm like, well, it's meaningless. No one else sees it unless they come over here, open the door, you know, load in. It doesn't feel great. Totally agree. And so one of the interesting questions that I, I thought was, did you ever consider in Ultima, instead of people placing houses, did you ever think of like static housing where someone would rent, you know, like a room or a part of the house or what? Um, we we talked about rental and we have even, uh, for example, even in the Shroud of the Avatar, my more recent game, yeah. we have put in tools to support room rental. Okay. But it's still been kind of kludgy. I wouldn't say it actually works that easily or well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but housing, as you know, is the bigger, the, the more successful your, your product is, the harder, you know, housing is. Right. And if you think about it, let's go back to the city of Austin metaphor again. And if you think of the 2 million people in the city of Austin, you know, there are, if you're thinking of entertainment in the city of Austin, there are landmarks hither and yon that, would be, <laughs> you know, whether it's a park or a, you know, restaurant or a nightclub or yeah. a movie theater or whatever might be your quote entertainment, the river to go canoeing on, whatever it might be. But then it's also surrounded by, you know, endless neighborhoods. Right. And if I were to drop, drop you randomly from the sky somewhere in the city of Austin, and odds are you'd end up in one of these endless neighborhoods and odds are you would be pretty bored pretty quickly. Right. And, yep. and so that's another reason I differ with a lot of game makers as to like, um, there are a lot of games when they go build a city they go, well, I want it to look like a real city. So if I'm modeling New York, I need a lot of big buildings. Yeah. And on the other hand, they can't take the time to detail all the buildings. So most of those buildings become facades. Right. And if they're just facades, that means you have to spend the time to walk past them, which mm. means you're now wasting my time to go through <laughs> your facades of nothingness. Right. Uh, and then, then you add that to the endless neighborhoods of housing and you go like, okay, this could make the MMO a, a whole lot of not fun. And so it's actually very difficult to, to, to manage that. And what I did with UO and what I've tried to do with a lot of other games too, is you say a town needs to be only as many buildings as just barely gets you over the hurdle of, I can believe it's a city. Right. You know I mean? Okay. Yeah. Anything more than that. And you're, you're not going to detail it because there's no point in making yet more office buildings with cubicles in them. Right. You know, and, and, uh, uh, and you're gonna make me walk past it. And it's it's going to slow the game down because of all the polygons and objects. It's going to slow me down because I have to walk past it all. Yeah. Uh, and so just make it as minimal as possible. And then when it comes to housing, something like you're saying, which is rent a room, lets yeah. things become much more dense, but uh, which is a good thing. Um, but it's actually hard to manage compared to here's my little plot of land. Yeah. And so uh, uh, the way I've tried to split that up is just go. Um, the, the worst part is junk the unfinished junk that gets left behind mm -hmm. uh which means you know i i bought a house i started to build it i got bored <laughs> i only come back once a year or maybe never but yeah. i still own it and it sits there and so i actually think the best way to do it if i was going to redo sales online sure is to say that there has to be a load on the place that it exists meaning the plot of land has to have a tax not for revenue to the game, but to make sure that you really want to be there and you're going to tend it. Right. And if it and if you don't tend it, whatever that means, it should be packed up and put away in a way that you could redeploy it again somewhere. 
Okay. And so uh, that way, you know, hey, I lost my lot that was in downtown, but at least all my pictures are still hanging on the wall. Mm, okay. And so I can redeploy my my homestead in a new location. Okay. And because this is something that's that's very silly and it's interesting, mm -hmm. I did a little bit of research on Shroud. We'll get into that towards the end, but. You know, I was talking to one guy streaming Shroud, and and we talked about housing. I was talking to him, and he was like, "One thing I get, and I didn't even realize this, that hasn't been done is the stacking system, like in UO, where you can put a table, and then this is this shouldn't even be revolutionary. You put <laughs> something on the table, and it and it stacks, and that's something that Shroud does. That again, we we just haven't seen the level, and and I'll give you this. You know, you'll you'll probably laugh, but. I remember I was streaming and, and the one guy comments, he goes, man, your backpack and bank is just a mess, you know? And I said, yes, it is. And I said, yeah, I, should I, be. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I live a very barbarian like lifestyle in, in the fact that my bank is a mess. I said, I have a tiny little eight by eight, you know, I call it a love shack because there's nothing in there, but you know, three chests and I got random stuff, you know, in there, but I couldn't, and let me tell you, I could never, even back in the day, that people did, they had tutorials on this for house decoration I'm talking about. They said, oh, you can make a little piano. Take take the cloth and you just stack it. Whatever. I couldn't follow basic instructions how to make, you know, something cool, you know? So do you, can you touch a little bit on the house decoration side of it? Like what kind of went into that? Well, there were... What's interesting about it, there were parts that went into it on purpose, and there were a lot of parts that went in on accident. And so uh, some yeah. of the basics, like you meant about stacking, we knew we wanted to do well. Like, you know, if you put a table out, and then you put a plate, and you put a knife and a fork to the side <laughs> or a napkin or a glass or whatever else, yeah. you want to be able to then go, oops, I need to move the table over a little bit and not have all the stuff fall down. You right. know? And so stacking was important. So, so that's what kind of drove us into uh stacking and we also thought just decorating was an essential part of this role-playing mm -hmm. uh, part of the game you know uh this this the same interdependence with that we that I'd, earlier on we talked about uh people going out to mine that would need protection to get to the mines and back and then then the crafters would take what they mined and make the gear for the miners and for the guards right and so uh that same sort of thing was there's a, the crafting loop for decorating also meant that you go get lumber and other things and you make the furniture for your house yeah and and so we knew for role players being able to say you know i am the baker for the town and i want to have a shop that looks like a bakery and that means i want to you know hang you know, my pizza shovel you know on the wall and you know, right. all the other kind of parts and pieces that make my bakery look uh, accurate uh and so um um uh so that's that's what started us down that path but then players quickly went way beyond and <laughs> yeah. sometimes by exploiting bugs but then we would try to figure out a way to help it uh like for example fish tanks were one of the first things that, that right. people popped up which is there turned out to be a few pieces of water in the game that you could pick up uh <laughs> and it tended to be associated with an error and i think it was like it uh if you found the zero zero coordinate of certain chunk wide right. portions of the map, there was uh, edge cases where you could actually pick up what turned out to be a piece of water. Yeah. And, and therefore you could take it into your house, set a table near the wall, set the chunk of water down on it, build some little barriers around the side of it. It looks like a fish tank. And in right. fact, because it was water, it would spawn fish. And so, <laughs> ta -da, you know, I have a fish tank in my house that actually looks like a fish tank. Right. And so once people figured that out by accident, at the same time we went to go fix the bug to yeah. might cause some other problems, 
we usually then left a method in for people to still have access to things like water to be able to build fish tanks. Yeah, and I know, and this is a testament to just OSI currently, there are still people that simply subscribe just for their house, like alone. Just that alone that I've spent 20 years decorating this, you know, castle and it's mine. I don't want it to drop, you know. So um, definitely bravo on that because I, I am so bad at I remember even in OSI back in, you know, two thousand early 2000s, I would pay someone. I would say, hey. I give you 50,000 gold. Can you come like decorate my house? And people are like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, I, I have no idea. I don't know chest placement. I'm not good with colors. And that was a very real thing where people would, yeah, decorate your house, you know, as a, almost as a service. Absolutely. Um, no, in fact, that was a big business. In fact, you know, uh, um, you know, while, uh, you know, there, there had been other games where limited edition digital objects had already become sold. Yeah, but UO again, just like UO coined MMO is massively multiplayer. UO also is where high value property sold on eBay really became a thing. <laughs> oh yeah, and and so that not only included the incredibly valuable swords and of course gold, yeah, uh, itself raw cash, um, but then people would also sell things like leveling services, decorating services, and just you know a whole you know, litany of other kinds of ways they could help each other in gaming. How did you, I mean, obviously you knew that was going on. I mean, that wasn't a huge secret. Did you ever think of, we need to really combat this to try to stop it? Or what was your, you know, thought? Or did you even have time? Well, so we felt that, uh, first of all, we didn't think we could get involved in it because mm -hmm. we were selling a, uh, access to a game for entertainment. As soon as we sold a single sword or a single piece of gold, then we felt that odds are that gold's going to get that the sword could get stolen from somebody. Right. The game could have a hiccup, and the sword could literally just disappear. <laughs> yeah. And then people would have proper justification to come back to us and go, "Where's my damn sword?" Right. You know, and <laughs> and uh, otherwise, I want my money back and lots of it. Yeah. And uh, and so we felt that we really couldn't be involved, and. And so we said, look, we are selling access to an entertainment service, period. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we think that buyers should beware because there's going to be a lot of people who will tell you this is an amazingly valuable sword when it's not. Right. And or even if you buy something that is a valuable sword, it literally could go away. You could Somebody could steal it from you or yeah. the game could have a rollback and <laughs> you know, it just disappears or a bug could make it disappear. And we are not warranting anything other than we're going to turn on the computer and let you play everything right. else is at your own risk. And so we sort of said, look, it's, we quote, discourage it yeah, because right. it, we can't officially endorse it, but we were also pleased that people found a way to do it. And, yeah. and I think for most people, it was a great fun enhancement. And you know, to all my younger listeners, there was a time before microtransactions <laughs> that that was a, a real time and, you know, thing that, that, you know, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I won't go into that, but, um, so that is, is definitely fascinating because I want to bring something up too that. I think you, I know you enjoy talking about is the economy. I know in current age, like you owe the economy is just, I'll just say it's so hyperinflated that, you know, it was like a runaway train and, I'm going to bring it back to the free charge just because there's sometimes less history. So they're experiencing it for the first time. And when I'm talking to a lot of the owners, you know, I always ask, what is your gold sink? 
And they're like, you know, what do you mean? I'm like, well, clearly you have to have an avenue for players like to spend money. And he's, and you know, a lot of the owners were like, yes, but he's like, we still have hoarders that won't spend a dime and just save everything. So can you kind of walk through what thought process went in the economy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. You have to have sinks and drains, um, you know, <laughs> or, or uh, uh, faucets and drains. And, um, and yeah, I mean, an entire doctoral theses could be <laughs> written on how to manage virtual economies. And one of the most interesting things about it is, unlike the real world, you know, uh, you know, we have an election coming up, and you, we can talk about tax policy. And right. what's interesting about the real world is, even if you change the taxation. Uh, it actually takes often years to really see the and understand the results of that change. And so yeah. you can you can blame the current president for changing something, but odds are it was the previous president who actually set it in motion that they <laughs> inherited it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the online world, things happen much faster. In other words, if, if we turn the taxes up to make something no longer the min max optimal path, mm -hmm. it immediately disappears. Yeah. And people will find the min max most optimal path pretty much immediately <laughs> yeah and so and so as a place to study economics it's actually a really interesting uh, idea uh but you're correct that you know fundamentally if all you do is you know, have the game spawn gold when they kill monsters etc then by definition you have inflation right every slowly right. more and more gold will be held by all the players and it will never leave the game and so to offset that you try to put into place as many ways for the game, not for player to player. So in other words, if I'm buying from you as a crafter, that's player to player. Right. But the game, but the, the gold itself is still between us somewhere. Once it's yeah. been generated by a dying monster that the game created. And so what you need is the game to recollect it. And one way to do that would be to tax every transaction. You could mm -hmm. do that. No yeah. games do that. But again, the reason we don't is because we actually can't. Because all you'll do is you go to a barter system. You'll just find ways to trade other go things around it. the gold. <laughs> yeah. And so you actually can't effectively tax transactions and so what you then have to do is say okay well then the crafters the way we do this in shroud of the avatar as an example the crafters all the stuff you need to craft all the tools all the metals all the wood all the parts and pieces you can get basically everything out of the game and spawning freely in the game except the fuel oh, okay and we make it where coal is the one resource that somebody has to have bought out of a game store Okay. And that that is a forced drain. Right. That means if we, we can adjust the price of fuel in order to suck money out of the game that is being played. Right. And we have a few of them in there like that. But what we have to do is it's it's virtually impossible because of not only hoarders, but also fluctuating interests of the player base and yeah. fluctuating um, you know, uses of various parts of the game mechanics that become as they become popular or less popular. Uh it's impossible to predict whether you're going to have this inflation or deflation. And so what you really have to have is you have to have a monetary policy where somebody right. is watching the game and saying, hey, look, gold value is inflating. We need to crank up the fuel prices to yeah. you know, suck some more money out of the game. And so, uh, uh, so you have to have them floating. And you have to have a number of these kinds of uh, spigots that you can adjust well, to uh, correct that. And I think, too... Um I mean, I think you guys back then experienced it, but probably not as hyperinflated as now. But um, the free shards, which they've discovered, like you said, it's a near instant thing that happens. You know, I know 
almost every free shark has a casino, right? A, a virtual casino in UO where you can dump your gold, right? Perfect idea. And on every you know person I interview, I'm like, well, how much gold do you think the top person has? And they're like, there are billionaires. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, there are people that never spend. They just trade and they just accumulate wealth. And he's like, you know, I can't, he's like, we, we as a shark cannot force you <laughs> to, to, you know, to dream, you know, to use your gold, but we can have systems like lottos. They do lottos too. You can buy a lotto ticket for a thousand gold. And that's another sink to try to get money flowing because that's a huge problem that people I think realize very quickly on free shards. If you let it go. Yeah. The, I mean, for a new player to start, it, it's, it's outrageous. You no chance to catch up. Yeah, no, it's interesting that, you know, one thing that I, I don't know of any game that is implemented, but you could, and it would probably work is a wealth tax. You know, even mm. though if we, if we taxed you, if every time you traded a sword for gold, we took a piece of that gold, people would quit using gold for the transaction. And I would trade, two copper swords for a silver sword instead, <laughs> if you know what I mean, they'd find right. a way to barter. Right. But <clears throat> but we could put a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a wealth tax into the whole thing. And by the way, I'm not saying players would like this. I'm just <laughs> sure. saying that it would be doable to where you could say, whether it's gold or copper swords, you know, everything that it was a currency, you know, you lose 10% of it every year or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or maybe it's a scale where, uh, you know, it drops off. And everything you have that's not in a currency uh, ages or wears, you know, to mm -hmm. also mean that you have to go repair it, which costs some money. And so, you know, it's it's possible, you know, it, we've, we've actually found that through the drains I've already mentioned, the types of drains I've already mentioned, right. we've been able to do it effectively. It's We still have inflation, but, we, you know, just like in the real world, some inflation does not seem to be particularly harmful. Right. And... Okay, I know we're talking about money, so I'll get I'll get this fun question out of the way because uh, I always love hearing. I'm really curious how you're going to answer this, but um, let's just say that you have control of UO again. It could this could be today or it could be 1999, whatever it is, and you know EA powers that be give you a blank check and say, okay, whatever you need, let's make it happen. What would you use it for? In creatively, probably yeah. Well, well, first I would stay true to historic. Ultima numeraled games and Ultima Online. And what I mean by that is it would still be a completely open world. Okay. Uh, it would still have these highly independent and interdependent roles. Uh, it would move uh, most assuredly over into 3D. Yeah. Uh, and therefore would probably be uh, VR compatible, uh, mm. even though I, by the way, I'm not completely sold that we're really prime yet for full VR role-playing games because it's still a bit too heavy and a bit too... Uh, too much motion sickness and stuff are involved, but I would at least build it to where you could play it in VR if you wished. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, and then I would probably start something closer to classic. I would try to fix that, you know, while making PvP a, a big core element, I would still right. try to find a way to defend the role players better than we ever managed to do in the original version of UO. Um, and so that's it. Anyway, that's probably where I'd start. Okay. And, and I think another thing we did well with, say, Shroud of the Avatar that we did not do as well in Ultima Online is figure out a way to tell a story while still in a massively multiplayer space. Right. And, you know, the, the real power that I think players like about the the fully open space is like the story you told earlier of, uh, 
uh, you know, trying to go to the orc ports and uh, <laughs> hire the hire the orcs to uh, stop the guys that were coming after you, and and the tables got turned. Yeah, those those only happen players versus players in an open setting. Right. However, that being said, I still think there is uh, value in an, the underpinning of a story like an Ultima Virtue story. And I think I've learned a lot since Ultima Online as to how to do that. Right. And so I think I could uh, get the best of both worlds again by uh, putting those two things together. And, okay, and that, that's a great response. What Whatever happened with UO2? Complicated, but... Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, but but here's the sense of it. So when we tried to do Ultima Online originally, EA was telling us online games won't work. There's no example right. of big successful online games. We instead want you to continue the Ultima solo player series. Period. Mm-hmm. And I had to we had to fight 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 to let us to get us to do UO. As soon as UO was out and a gigantic success, they said we don't even want any more solo player <laughs> Ultimas. We only want more Ultima Online, and we want you to start on Ultima Online 2 right now. Okay. And we told them, they said, look, Ultima Online is barely holding together as a game. (laughs) This is going to go on for a while as Ultima Online 1, and the feature set is going to continue to expand. And so if we start Ultima Online 2 right now, we will be chasing the expanding Ultima Ultima Online 1 feature set, which means it won't be done for years and years and years. And it'll cost us way more money. We really shouldn't start it for two or three years. Yeah. And EA was like, nope, nope, nope. You're starting it now. And so we started it. And after two or three years, they're going like, wow, you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time chasing the spending features <laughs> out of Ultima Online 1, right. like we told them. Yeah. And they pulled the plug. And wow. so it was like, you know, we told you. What, so. what did it, you know, look like in terms of visual because that's a question that you know i know just me as a as a fan always wondered did it have the 3d elements or what was in it uh to my you know i'm googling it myself but uh uh, but (laughs) to my knowledge yes uh it was uh, we were using you know basically the uh um uh the ultimate nine engine which had gone 3d okay uh uh, so yeah, so let's see. Uh, I'm trying to see what because uh... I remember it like when I was younger hearing about it, but then it kind of like just went and went away, and everyone was always like, yeah. "What happened to you? Too? Why didn't they release it?" Yeah, I'm looking at a couple trailers online, and yeah, it looks like the Ultima Nine engine. So uh, okay, uh, yeah, got it. Okay, so that's super fascinating. So, um, and we're gonna probably jump now a little bit into Shroud. I know this is Ultima Online focus, but. I yeah. wanted to give you, this is my honest feedback, and I just did a little bit of research. I didn't, you know, do expansive research, but I went on Twitch, and I and I made it a point. I said, I'm going to go to a couple people that are streaming Shroud and just simply simply ask questions, like, did you ever play UO? What, are, what is your, and it was fascinating. What I found out was most of the Shroud people, and I, you know, again, this is five, ten people, so <laughs> don't take yeah. it as a whole, but... Everyone said, oh, I love the old Ultima series. You know, one, two, three, four. That's the type of people that was super attracted to Shroud. And I, and I brought up Ultima Online. And like, you know, the one guy I talked to, he's like, no, nah, I played Ultima Online a little bit. But it was really the Ultima series that I loved. And that's what Shroud brings. And I think, unfairly, sometimes people compare, they, they think Shroud is UO2. And I, and I, and then you can answer better than I can. 
I personally don't feel it is. I feel it does pull some of the Ultima Online things out, but I don't believe it's UO2. So, you know, go ahead. Well, yeah. Well, well. so here's what I find. It, I, I always find it fascinating to talk to people also about which Ultimas they like, if, of the numeraled ones in particular, right. which ones they like the best and which ones they like the least. And because all of them, to me, were experiments. Each and every one, you know, if you go back to the earliest Ultimas, <clears throat> you know, there was no mouse. <laughs> yeah. You know, you had to use the carriage return and other keys to move yourself around forward, back, left, right. Yeah. And then I used other like the letter and a letter X meant to go into a dungeon or something. And right. uh, there were a couple of the keys on your left hand that you could do. And then, then it started, then I started expanding through all the keyboards, a mint attack, B mint board a vessel, C mint cast a spell, D mint drop an item, E mint enter, F right. mint fire a ship's weapons. And then after that, I ran out of 26 letters. And so I began to use the letter U for use. And then you would find an object in your inventory to use so in <laughs> two steps. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the mouse came out. And when the mouse came out, I was like, woof, now I could change it. Then I sort of changed it to verb uh, noun. And so there were some icons on the bottom that were like use or attack. Right. And then you would point at the item you wanted to use or the creature you wanted to attack. So verb noun, verb noun. Um, and and then we eventually you know drive on WASD and just clicking with your mouse to drive into the world. Mm -hmm. And so each game, you know, think about how far computers have come in 40 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so each new game, you're working on a machine that is at least twice as fast, has twice as much storage, has twice as much capabilities. And so each one of these is a gigantic experiment in my mind. And it's all they're all what I think would be interesting to try to attempt in a game this time. Right. And, and some of those experiments go great and they become standards we keep for a long time. And some of those experiments go, yeah, you know, that didn't really work <laughs> out, but we, but we finished it that way because it would be way too expensive to go back and try something else. Right. And so every game has places that made great advancements. Every game to me had places where it fell way short of what we could have, would have, should have had we known what we did when it finished. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so for me, if you look at Shroud of the Avatar, it is a blending of a lot of my previous work, including one that is not in this in the Ultima-ish pantheon, not in the Britannia pantheon, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is Tabula Rasa. Oh. And so the game that I did called Tabula Rasa, one of the things I think it did particularly well was something we called control points. Mm -hmm. And when you went, the control point was like a little town or outpost that if the bad guys took it over, all the NPCs and resources that were there for you that you might need, including clues, would be unavailable. Okay. And until players went and took it back, then the, the NPCs and conversations wouldn't respawn. Mm. And, uh, and so it meant that there was a dynamism to the storytelling that, that really group play could affect. Right. Uh, and, and so we pulled that forward into Shroud of the Avatar. So Shroud of the Avatar is sort of it's an attempt to be Ultima Online-like in some senses, but it does have instance spaces. And that was just a practical solution. Right. Uh, I actually don't prefer them. It was just a kind of requirement based on the time and budget and resources we had available to us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and so, but then it also has storytelling uh, we've woven into it, and uh, you know, in some semblance of the variation on this theme of, of control points. And so uh, it's sort of a blending together of, of a lot of the pieces that I've been playing with in other games through, through time. Now, you know, and we're going to kind of 
try to keep it on the UO rails, but are there similar struggles that you're facing or have faced with Shroud that, you know, can go back to your early UO days? Oh, totally. You know, the, um, with, with every online game that I've done, <laughs> you know, when, when, when it's an offline game, when you ship it, you're basically done with it, right? The right. Master yeah. goes out. It used to be you couldn't even patch games, right? Literally, yeah. that was it. You shipped it, <laughs> better or worse, you're done. Yeah. Um, then we at least got to the point where we could patch the really horrible bugs that somebody might find in them. And now we're to the point where a game is really basically never done. You know, right. An online game is never done. You're, you're expanding it forever. You can change things forever. But in all of the online games I've done, um, they all have had major features that no one cared about and we eventually just removed to keep the to save the code space and yeah. reduce the bugs associated with it, not have to maintain it. And then every one of them has had the fishing example where something <laughs> we did, you know, we didn't think it was gonna be popular at all. And uh, guess what? It turns out it's most, one of the most popular features in the game. And so you double down and you expand it. So yeah, we still have the same trials and tribulations each time. Well, and I think you know it, it's super fascinating to me because because currently right now. Two games that have come up um, called Among Us and Fall Guys have have like exploded in popularity, right? And you look at these games on the surface, these are not like the latest graphically intense games by a long shot. And I think as players, and this is me and my player hat now, we've said this for, for, I mean, decades that we do not really care about fancy graphics. We care about gameplay. And, you know, even with my son, you know, he's gotten into some of the pixel indie games and I'm like, man, those graphics are rough. And, you know, he says, yeah, I don't care. It's the gameplay. I love the mechanics of what I can do. And, yeah, you know, you're, you're exactly right. You know, in fact, uh, on my phone, okay. I have a folder called AAA games. And those are the games that I've loved since the beginning of being able to play on my mobile right. device. Okay. Starting with something called Spider. There was a game down in Austin years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, it was the first time I saw a touch and drag and screen was doing great. Uh, <laughs> but one of but one of my very favorites is this game called A Dark Room. And okay. A Dark Room has basically no graphics whatsoever. Uh, you know, it has a, a few little uh, boxes that give you little bits of data. Right. And, uh, and you know, all you can really do is, you know, buy some supplies, visit a merchant, and you wander, wander around a text map. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a great game. And so, I, first of all, I completely agree with you that graphics, we, we, we're now on this stage where clearly to compete as a first-person shooter that is nothing but a first-person shooter, the physics and smoke and... Right. Everything else, AI, you know, becomes uh, the bells and whistles become the game. Yeah. And so they're driving the technology forward, which is good for everybody else. But for most gamers, you know, like my kids were originally spoiled by great graphics, but then quickly went back to Minecraft and Roblox, <laughs> right. which are you know, not that graphically intense. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, so I think we're now finally at the point where you're not, you don't have to have the best graphics to make a great game. By right. Honest. And, you know, I'm going a little off topic for a second, but, um, you know, in my house, we have a, the PlayStation VR. And then we got that probably, I don't know, two, three years, I don't know how long ago, but um, it was for the family a great VR experience. It was really cool. It, it wasn't, 
you know, it was a little clunky, but you know, I think the top game really you took, you know, my summit away was, was beat Saber. That was it. I was like, man, this makes sense, you know, but I do agree that I, I don't think the tech is there yet to make some of the games that I know people are already envisioning. Like, you know, it's just, I, and I know in your mind, if I had a, you know, an ounce of your <laughs> creative ability, right, I probably would have more ideas, but I already know like, yeah, an RPG in VR is going to be mind blowing. I mean, it's going to be a, an experience like we never had, but yeah, I, I agree with you. The tech, I feel like VR is still in this very new, even though it's been around for <laughs> quite a while, it's still in a very new space. Yeah. And it's not just new, but yeah, but trust me, I think, for even on the Apple II, they had made some VR goggles that had these view monitors about the size of my thumbnails. Wow. Uh, terrible lag, uh, made you sick almost immediately. But if you had your head still and didn't mind only like <laughs> 80 pixels by 80 pixels, um, you could see a little 3D scene. And I'm going like, ooh, someday, maybe 10 years, this is going to be great. Right. You know, 10 years later, ooh, look, wow, <laughs> sunglass sizes. Right. Now, 10 years from now, it's going to be great. Yeah, and uh, and now you're looking at it and you're going like, whoa, you know, I'd like to believe it's great right now, but there's still something wrong. Um, you know, the I like the one I like the best actually is the Quest that my kids use downstairs because it doesn't have any, there's no tether to it, right? And, uh, and no computer really needed, and it's still high enough quality and high speed. Uh, but even this Rift S that I have hanging here on this machine, uh -huh. you know, the fact that you have to don it and duff it, and there's a cable connected. And right. uh, and I and I had to buy new video boards to really be able to drive it. You know, mm -hmm. it's thousands of dollars in machine to push it. Uh, the the device itself isn't that expensive, but uh, you know what the, the associated hardware is. <laughs> yeah, right. Top end, uh, and so there's still it's it's still not we're still not quite there yet. It's uh, we're we're tantalizingly close. Right. But, um, you know, and I'm sure over the you remember like the treadmill with the VR. That was oh, a totally. thing. Yeah. I don't remember. I think it like faded away, but that was like a huge thing where you could run, you know. I, yeah, no, they're still around. In fact, uh, down at uh, Capital Factory in Texas, they have a bank of them set up there for people to t test on and okay. you know, uh, uh, to use. Uh, so no, it, it's it's an interesting device, but there, none of them, nothing has really made it great. I, I don't like <laughs> yeah. going in and pointing my my finger to the ground and teleporting pop, 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 pop from place <laughs> to place. I want to walk right. around. You know, I, I want to look under the table and lift up the rug and find the key hidden under the doormat. You know, I want to, I want to move around in the space. Have you played the new Half-Life one that they released? There, there's an, it's a VR uh, specific title. Um, the name escapes me, but um, it's a very interactive game where you I can. I check that one out too. Yeah, definitely. And I think, cause I know Valve has their own, uh, I think it's called the Index, Valve Index, their own VR uh, set that they released. But that game, um, it's based on the Half-Life franchise, but um, that game is really cool that you should definitely look at. Um, but okay, I'm going to get it, and I got off topic because you're talking about VR. It was exciting. Um, so, okay, so one question that, you know, <laughs> I'm very interested to see what your story is going to be because you were invisible many times observing people. Um I want you to think of a time where you saw, you know, someone, it could have been, you know, someone else, yourself, whoever, get either epic revenge and only and only UO can offer, you know, this this kind, or perhaps maybe trolling. You know, that someone troll like, you know, he killed me and then I put 
hundred kegs outside his house, so he couldn't get in his own house. <laughs> Something like that. Oof. Well, you know, the uh, it's interesting. When I was running around invisibly, so so first of all, the person who was often getting trolled was me. So you know, I was usually the, I was usually the the recipient. Of, okay. Uh, if I was visible. I was the recipient of a lot of the uh, plots and ploys of people trying to be, you know, uh, uh, purposefully uh, rude yeah. in some way, rude in quotes. Um, when I was invisible, I was actually usually following the help cue. That people used to be able to just yell for help. Yeah. And um, and so what I would do is I would pop over invisibly to go, you know, what's going on? I needed to know how is this game working? How are people playing mm -hmm. it? What's going wrong? You know, why are, why are people not staying it? We had a large number of people coming in to try it, but a lot of those were not sticking around. Okay. And so I was always going in there to follow that. And so uh, uh, let me tell you this one story about there was this uh, <laughs> sure. woman who was yelling for help in the help queue. And she, in the help queue, she was basically saying, I've restarted my character three times. I keep getting all my stuff stolen. If this happens again, I'm quitting and I'm not coming back. Okay. And so I was like, okay, this is the perfect person for, for me to help. <laughs> and so um, I'm standing here with this woman. She had just started her character again. And I said, okay. Uh, and she really wanted to go out of town to the dungeon. I said, well, you know, out of town is a bit dangerous, but here I will, I will be your escort. <laughs> okay. And, and by the way, I am immortal and have infinite power. So right. uh, we should be, we should be fine if you kind of leave town with me. And we, we take three or four steps outside the town. And a thief that has mastered speed and macroing in ways that I <laughs> cannot even imagine today. Okay. Zips on the screen, steals all of her stuff, and zips <laughs> off the screen before I can even respond or talk or shoot him or anything. Right. And so, and, and he's already off the screen. So I'm like, stay here. I'll be right back. Uh -huh. And I teleport ahead and go around the edge of this the town i think it was uh uh minoc and uh and i wait for him and sure enough here he comes thinking he's like he's made up with this night <laughs> i freeze into the ground and then i show up as lord british and make myself visible again i said how dare you <laughs> said, look come on this is this is ridiculous this woman is just starting to learn how to play right you know it is really uncool to be doing this to her uh, she's not going to come back into the community because she feels so badly exploited. And this guy's, oh, Lord British, I'm so sorry, Lord British, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll never do it again, I promise, I swear, right. I'll never do it again. I said, well, you don't, because if you do, I'm going to ban you. Wow, and he okay. he said, okay, I won't do it. So I take all of her stuff, I take it back to her, I give it to her, and we start walking a few more steps. Same guy, <laughs> zipping by the screen, steals all of her stuff, and runs off the other way. <laughs> Stay here. Yeah. I go over to her, I go over to him, I catch him, I freeze him the ground, and he goes, oh, Lord Bruce, oh, Lord Bruce, I'm so sorry. I could just couldn't resist. I said, okay, look, that's the second time. <laughs> yeah. Third time, look, I'm going to, I really will ban you permanently from the game because right. we just can't have this kind of behavior. And he goes, look, I, I swear I won't do it again. So, okay, let that be a lesson to you. Yeah. Give her back the stuff. Sure enough, a third time, same guy, steals all her stuff. Wow. I freeze him. I appear as Lord British. And I say, okay, I'm going to ban you. And he breaks character and he says, Look, Richard Garriott, I am playing this game as a thief. You put the skills of a thief into this game. Wow. I am role-playing a thief. If the king comes to me and says, quit stealing, of course I'm going to tell the king I will quit stealing. <laughs> but I am a thief. Right. What do you expect me to do? You made these rules. I'm playing by the rules you made. 
Wow. I was like, oh, you're right. Oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> yeah. and, and so what I did is I teleported him to the farthest side of the planet. Okay. Where at the very least, he couldn't bother this woman. Right. At least not now. Wow. And so I gave that woman back her stuff, uh, sent her on her merry way. She was doing fine after that. Uh, but then I had to go back and really think about it and go like, okay, what, what, what have I created yeah. that is, that is, has, that is having this uh, kind of effect. And that's what, that, those are the kind of things that we would sit back and watch happening and then try to sit back and go like, how can we maintain the fun? I mean, the guy was really was right. It was, right. He was having fun. He was doing exactly, he wasn't cheating. He was doing everything according to the rules, but, yep. um, uh, but clearly uh, uh, we couldn't let that stand as it was. Well, and it's fascinating you mentioned that story because all the owners I've talked to have the same exact problem on how do you balance, you know, I'll just say it's not even an exploit. It's like just game mechanics that are not very fair to someone. And what do you do about it? And, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, most of the owners let things go because they're like, I can't. You know, to, to give you an example, one of the stories was hilarious. One guy kills someone and the guy's real angry and he killed him a few times. So he ended up buying 200 fishing nets. Okay. And he goes to the dude's house and he releases all 200 nets. And there's like, I mean, I don't know how many <laughs> monsters spawned at this dude's house, but, you know, he paged in and, and he's like, you know, hey, this is ridiculous. It's going to take me five hours to kill all these monsters. And, it was one of those shrug moments where, sorry, that's part of the game, you know, and it's so fascinating that this is happening on a smaller scale, but it's happening. The fact that, no, that that's it's a balance that we don't want people just like happened, you know, to UO back in the day, leave this game and say, you know, I don't want to play anymore. And especially as a PVP or I try to get people to understand if people quit, <laughs> there's no one to kill. There's no community. Um, and and I think that's something you probably wrestled with and, and, and you know, probably still do in, in certain games. But that's such a hard concept for the, some, some of the hardcore PvPers to understand that there has to be some balance in the world. Um, no, exactly right. And, and it's tough to get right. And, you know, it's all trial and error and everybody's trying to figure it out. And, and it's one of these cases where the community is figuring out alongside the developers, right? The, the developers... Yeah have a little bit more insight as to what's going on with the data, but they, they don't control the players. By any means. <laughs> right. The only dials they have are what's the challenge and reward level of yep. various parts and pieces. And, and with those dials, you try to make the game as fun as possible and re, you know, retain as many of the people as you can. Well, and I think you'd probably agree with this, but yeah, the peanut gallery is always the loudest, right? Where, Oh, you should change this mechanic. You're so stupid. Why don't you just change this? And it's like, well, let's peel back the layers it's way more complicated well you know what's interesting is every company i've worked for and even my partners in my own companies like origin and my brother for example yeah. you know everybody has their opinion and often those who are not game designers go like well hey if you don't like my opinion let's get a focus group together and we'll you know we'll we'll convince you to change what you <laughs> think is good art based on a focus group yeah and and i find zero value in that yeah uh, i even go and look you know even 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 your main constituents your players when they are saying things like, this is too hard, I wish you would make it easier. Right. It's just as likely that what they're actually saying is the reward is not sufficient for me to go through this much labor. 
Right. right? I yeah. Mean, it's it's not just the challenge. It's also the reward. It's the pacing of the rewards. And so if you do what the non-game developer or what the non-individual vision holder is, if you, if you take a player and do exactly what they want, first of all, they'll never agree with each other. Right. But secondly, <laughs> even if they did, it would very likely be wrong, not because their heart's not in the right place and they're not expressing the correct emotion. It's just that they don't have the picture of what the totality is of what's going on and what you're trying to have go on to make that decision. So I think it's incredibly valuable to listen to everyone's critique Right. But then you have to go back and sit and go like, okay, people aren't having fun and they think it's because it's too hard. Well, what does that really mean? Is it, right. is it literally that it's too hard? Like in my very first games, it really literally was too hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, or, you know, but is it really just that I'm not rewarding people frequently enough or in a, and is in a, with a cel enough celebration right. uh, yeah. to make them feel that the time was well spent? And I'm going to throw this as a bonus question just because a lot of game developers um, I know are going to listen to this. If you are a, I mean, you still are a game developer, but if you're just starting, right, what is a few pieces of advice that you could offer for, and I'm not just talking for RPGs, just in general, a game developer, what are some things you could say to a new game developer? Well, for me, there's, there's sort of two... Um, pieces of the, what I think have been my secret sauce to, to um, making good games and having the longevity in games that I've had. Yeah. And um, uh, those two things are, uh, uh, number one would be uh, broadly described as, as research. Mm -hmm. Meaning, and, and, and what I really mean by that is uh, that if you, if all you do is play other games of your own genre, for example, <laughs> as yeah. your inspiration to make a new game, then all you'll be doing is chasing what everybody else and yourself is already doing. Mm -hmm. And while you might make some incremental improvements, your competitors in the same genre are probably also making those same incremental improvements or more. And so you will not win that race. Yep. And instead, you should cast a much wider net and take your inspiration from not only other genres of games, but frankly, from exploring the reality in which we live broadly mm -hmm. and seeing what you can take back from the learnings of the film industry or the learnings from business in general or economic finance, you know, finance and economy or ethics and virtue parables. You know, you take your inspiration needs to come from far away in order to do something that is truly unique and therefore hopefully compelling. The other place that I uh, focus on is what I would probably call intellectual property. Meaning, if you uh, uh, if you if you're if you're only going to try to win the race by having the best graphics, that only works for one game. Yeah. And some younger, faster gun will you know, <laughs> beat you out the next time. Right. If, on the other hand, you focus on intellectual property, that is actually something you can protect, and will no one's going to copy that exactly. So mm. by focusing on the why is my reality unique? Why is my reality compelling to you as an individual? Why does my art hold a mirror up to you as an individual or humanity or society as it is now uh, right. to be able to uh, uh, advance? And that's what really I think makes a great game. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because I know just as me, you know, I, I've entered this world of streaming. I've kind of said, there's only one of me but there's a million others and people don't want to watch, you know, and same thing with games. There's a million games, but there's only one that you can create, right. And make it your own. And I think um, that's very tough for a lot of people to grasp because like they take, you know, plants versus zombies, very basic concept, but you know, 
make it your own. Make it, you know, instead of plants, I don't know, make it, you know, planets versus plants, you know, whatever, right? But, uh, but thank you for answering that question because I think that's a, a very interesting one that I know a lot of people uh, wanted to know. Um, okay, so we're pretty much at the end here. Um, is there anything that you would like to say to, because my audience, by the way, these, they're hardcore PVPers, there's crafters. Um, these are people that still are playing <clears throat> UO right now. You know, is there anything that Lord British wants to say to the UO community at large? Well, as Lord British to anybody playing an Ultima, I have to say, stand by the virtues. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but no, really, I would say, first, I would say thanks for all the years of support and your continued enthusiasm for Ultima. That uh, means a lot to me and makes me very uh, proud of what uh, the team and I, the teams, plural, and I, you know, have, have put together, you know, over, over decades. Um, and it's, and it's wonderful to be able to see it uh, last. Um, then I would also then turn to the people that are building some of these free shards in, in concert with their communities or, or the broadsword team that's now uh, working to expand the, the product as well. Yeah. And I would say, look, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, we, what we've, what we've demonstrated to this community now has a hold of a, of a, of a fabric of a, of a structure which we all sort of are shepherding into the future. And so, uh, you know, by, uh, I would like to believe that, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, even if it might morph again and have new versions created, whether they, whether I get a chance to create some more or whether uh, EA Broadsword or the community makes more, um, you know, I look forward to seeing what's next. Awesome. Well, you know, again, thank you so much for taking the time and, you know, I just want to say this to everyone listening. You know, I, I don't know Lord British personally. I simply reached out and asked, right? And, you know, an answer was given. So that just goes to, I want to make sure everyone's clear that, you know, you are definitely one of the most accessible, you know, people that I've interacted with. And truly, you know, thank you for coming on here. Oh, truly my pleasure. It's, I mean, it's been fun. And uh, uh, it's been fun to go into this much depth as well with somebody who, uh, clearly knows the history uh, as well as you do. So uh, I hope uh, the listeners get a chance to enjoy this too. I appreciate it.